From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. You know, we've been doing year in review stories, in this case, year in review podcasts for several years. We've been at this for a while. This is the most self-explanatory year in review we'll ever do because the whole year changed and the whole reality changed on March 13th. That was the Friday that Idaho declared a state of emergency because of the looming coronavirus pandemic. That was also the day by close of business that Governor Brad Little uh, hosted an impromptu news conference to announce Idaho's first confirmed coronavirus case. That was March 13th. As we sit here and record on December 23rd, we are sitting at 132,686 confirmed or probable coronavirus cases in Idaho. 1,313 Idahoans have uh, died from COVID-19. The other number that we're tracking that sort of sets the stage for where we're heading into 2021, as of this hour, 6,538 Idahoans have received their first doses of the coronavirus vaccine. That's the year in a nutshell, and it's affected education, K-12 and higher ed, it's affected the legislature, will affect the legislature going into 21. Uh, there's a lot to get to, but the numbers really do sort of set the stage. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Everything did change basically in a day in March, on that Friday, March 13th. I remember going to two press conferences with the governor that afternoon, uh, the, de- the declaration of emergency and then the first case. And then within a matter of days, we had schools reacting and closing. We had the State Board of Education getting involved. And it's, you know, those nine months plus or or, or whatever, um, it's been the longest year, certainly, with everything that's changed. But so much of it was as unprecedented in all of our lives, but especially education, right? Public schools. It's affected everything that we've covered the past nine months, but I go back to just those first nine, ten days yeah. after that announcement, after those two news conferences. We had you know, Governor Little urging schools to stay open, but you had schools across the state, school districts, school boards across the state saying, no, we're, we're going to close. We're going to see where this is going, and you know, we're, we're going to shut down. We're going to do a longer spring break. We're going to switch to online, prompting the State Board of Education to step in on the 23rd and do a statewide school closure. So you had that going on. You had the colleges and universities closing abruptly uh, on March 13th and going online for the rest of the semester. And you had the legislature still in session that week after those first cases were announced in just a sort of you know bizarre wrap up to the session where you still had uh, you know, face-to-face uh, you saw the legislature meeting face to face, but you had several legislators leaving in the middle of the session because they were concerned about their personal health. They were concerned about uh, the, the spread of coronavirus in a in a close quarter like you have at the state house. You know, we had to quickly decide what to do as journalists. You know, the 10 days were a whirlwind and it set the stage for a nine month whirlwind. Yeah. And Idaho's response really changed uh, throughout the pandemic at the beginning, uh, there really wasn't much information at all about what was happening or how to respond. And so 
this is review at this point, but at the beginning, as you remember, uh, the state got involved. The governor got involved. Uh, the state board of education got involved. There were statewide responses and statewide protocols. And then through the summer, that really shifted to focus on personal responsibility, to focus on local control. That's almost a buzzword uh, that you hear, but it meant uh, basically passing the decisions on things like reopening and staying open to local school boards and local public health districts, consulting and advising them. And that's really where we've been from summer. But you can see sort of the state's response changed from the state approach to individual responsibility and local control. And we've seen that play out in action and be put to the test um, in the most high stakes way possible, right, Kevin? Because uh, many of the school districts are operating in hybrid or offering some sort of in-person learning experience, at least they were before the holidays. Um, but that's that's local control in action. That's pushing these decisions to these school boards who likely never would have com- contemplated um, <laughs> you know, gauging these risk classifications and, and, and all these different factors uh, that have been put through. But that's really how things change. But the legislature is kind of the bookend, right? They were there uh, at the beginning in March and we're getting ready for them to come back. All indications are that it's going to be a, a face-to-face session when it starts up January 11th. We can talk more about that later in this show, but that's the next big thing on the horizon, right? Right. I mean, and the legislature is kind of the bookend, it's kind of the recurring theme uh, of of Idaho and Idaho's response to the pandemic, that initial response from the legislature, that final, uh, that final week of the session, really the final couple of weeks of the session. I mean, going back to, as we were starting to see the storm clouds, as we're, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of even the Wednesday before Idaho reported its first case. I, I recall it was the day that uh, the World Health Organization declared coronavirus a global pandemic. Uh, I recall I was in a committee room, a crowded, a packed committee room uh, for for a, a committee hearing. It just you know wall to wall people. Uh, I was a little bit under the weather at the time, and and I probably should not have been there. Especially should not have been there. Um, with what was what was looming, it was it was a you know the wrong place for me to be, the wrong time for me to be there. But that's how the legislature was unfolding those final couple of weeks. Uh, since then, we've had the the special session that we had in August with, with protests, with arrests, with kind of disregard for the ideas of social distancing, um, you know, mask usage, and you know, heavy pushback from the legislature. And I think we'll see this continuing. To, in 21, heavy pushback from the legislature against Governor Little and Governor Little's response to the pandemic and, and the health crisis. We had an organizational session that you 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 were there for briefly in December. Again, you know, legislators in, in close proximity, hanging around, some wearing masks, a lot not wearing masks, some you know working on the House floor behind uh, plexiglass partitions, most not. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the state of, of play as we head into the 2021 legislative session. We'll talk a lot more about that um, you know, after the new year as we head into the session. But, you know, yeah, so that's kind of the bookend of the, of the year. And the legislature really kind of show almost a microcosm of Idaho in a way because 
with the personal responsibility and local control response, and we've talked about this before, this is review, but you've got sort of a patchwork of protocols and responses, and it's going to look different, right, depending on what school district you live in, what health district you live in, what county or what city you live in. And so the fact that you've got some legislators masking up and many others not, kind of indicative of what's going on across the state. And Idaho's not alone in that. Um, but with our individualized response, you know, we had a lot of pushback uh, against things like mask usage and government mandates and uh, so the politics of that has been a big factor, and I think the legislature is going to uh, get involved in that in one way or another. We knew that the legislature was looking to basically teach Governor Little a lesson uh, for for some of the protocols that he put in place when they were out of town, whether it was the dividing up of the CARES Act money, whether it was the spring primary election, whether it was a number of those things. And so I think the legislature wants to assert itself and its role uh, in the decision-making process here. And, and we'll see that, I guess, come to bear when the session begins. But yeah, that the legislature sort of is a microcosm of the state because you've got all these individual legislators to, making individual decisions, no unified plan or protocol there. And that's kind of how it's going out in the state. You know, if you live in Boise and Ada County, you're probably having a little bit different experience than if you live in uh, Kootenai County and Coeur d'Alene or Idaho Falls and Bonneville County, right? And, and a microcosm of our citizenry. You know, we talk about a citizen legislature. That, that That's such a well-worn phrase that it almost loses its meaning. But it does still have meaning to me, Clark. I mean, these are folks who ostensibly are part-time legislators, they spend the rest of the year doing some other job or you know, pursuing some other, some other life outside of politics. And like our citizenry at large, sharply divided on the pandemic, on the response to the pandemic, on even the, the severity of the pandemic. I yeah. mean, I'm going back to, and I'm stealing some material from you, Clark, you talked to, uh, House Minority Leader Alana Ravel a couple of weeks ago after right. that organizational session, how she talked about how personally frightened she was about being on the floor of the House in December in close proximity with her colleagues to the point where she isolated from her family, uh, had two coronavirus tests, and did not go back to her family until she had two negative tests, as I'm, as I'm recalling. You've got the details correct, yeah. Um so you've got an Alana Rubel on, on one side of the coin. You've got other legislators who you know, are, are straight up deniers. Uh, they don't believe that this is a serious uh, you know, public health crisis. You've had, you know, we've talked about Tammy Nichols before, you know, posting a photo on social media uh, wearing a you know, one of those mesh Clementine bags. You know, we get the little tangerines at the, at, at the store turning that into a mask as sort of a statement about, you know, her questioning whether masks are necessary or even effective. So like our citizenry, our, our legislature is sharply divided about this, uh, about this. And, you know, that's one of the things that we saw unfold over these past nine months. I mean, you know, remember back in the spring, all those commercials that said we were all in this together. <laughs> you don't see those commercials anymore because, you know, we're, we're as divided about this as a country, as a state, 
as a community, and that definitely reflects at the legislature. Yeah, it, it, it sure does. And it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the legislature responds when they do get into session on January 11th. Like I said, all indications are um, that it's going to go ahead as planned. The Speaker of the House, Scott Bedke, responded to concerns about the pandemic and safety and access and said, essentially, we're bound by our legislative rules that we just approved in December and the Idaho Constitution, and without a two-thirds vote to change those rules, we're going to be having the session on time. And we just got a communication from a Republican House leadership that closing uh, the Capitol to the public is not an option uh, for them for this upcoming session. And so the public will be allowed inside. And it, it'll be interesting to see how it looks like and, and how it plays out. But we were just watching... Uh, Oregon had a special session kickoff uh, earlier this week, and there were large protests and disruptions, and uh, law enforcement declared the protests an unlawful gathering, and they tried to force their way inside. And, and so I wonder whether that will be seen in Idaho. That was more like what we saw during the special legislative session uh, over the l summer uh, or the official term was the extraordinary legislative session. But that was that special it session. Accurate. It was extraordinary. Uh, yeah. and, and that was where we did see Hammond Bundy and the uh, health freedom uh, anti-vaccination people out in force, yeah. uh, protesting, pushing their way uh, through doorways, congregating without masks, uh, basically demanding uh, their liberties. And the legislature responded by abandoning basically social distancing guidelines and restrictions. And so everything in that Capitol building, it, it looks like it's going to be your choice. You know, the signs are masks and social distancing are recommended, but it's not going to be enforced and required. And and that, of course, is in contrast to, you know, the state house, the state Capitol building is located in the city of Boise where masks and distancing are required. But once you get into the state house, because of the, the way the rules and the laws are written, the legislature basically has control over the procedures and protocols in that state house. So a very weird situation, but that just emblematic of the, the patchwork of, you know, different people have different thoughts on, on how they're responding and how they're preparing and what they're doing or what they're not doing, whether they think it's even serious. And so we're really going to see that again in January. Um, and, and the backdrop is, is that, you know, maybe the, the, there is the light at the end of the tunnel. There is, you mentioned uh, the vaccine. It has landed in Idaho. Uh, 6,000 plus healthcare workers have received the first of two rounds of vaccinations. But the state's plan, as you know, is talking about ramping up and getting Idahoans vaccinated basically in waves through the late spring or the late summer. And, and that's going to depend on supply of vaccine. That's going to depend on a second or a third vaccine getting approved. It's going to depend on how we can circulate it to our rural areas. It's going to depend on public confidence yeah. in the vaccine, a public basically willingness to get vaccinated. You heard Senator Chuck Winder, uh, the new number one ranking Republican in the Idaho Senate, his final words at the end of the organizational legislative session in December were the vaccines on the way and it could offer great stabilization to our situation. But Senator Winder told his colleagues it's their personal choice 
if they want to get vaccinated and reminded them, and by extension reminded all Idahoans that there are provisions in place to opt out in Idaho. And so it is basically a personal choice. And so it'll be interesting to see how many people do opt to get vaccinated in Idaho, whether there are demonstrations against the vaccine, I'm sure there will be, whether there are protests at the state house, I'm sure there will be. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and what happens with the vaccine as distribution moves from the healthcare sector to other sectors? Right. Uh, you know, especially, you know, we know that K-12 teachers and K-12 staff are going to be fairly early on in the line. You know, they're, they're critical workers. They're in that, you know, kind of large category of critical workers who could be in line to get the vaccine early in 2021. We can't really pin down a date because, you know, there are so many variables at play here. But, you know, in theory, K-12 teachers, K-12 staff could have access to the vaccine within, you know, the first few you know, a few weeks of 21. Yeah, just a matter of weeks from today. They're in that 1B, I think, that, that right. really that second wave, which is where you're going to get law enforcement and some other first responders in there. But they're kind law of in enforcement that... first responders, but then you also get, uh, you, know, you know, you get K-12 teachers, you yep. get uh, daycare employees. Yep. It's a pretty wide class of critical workers. Grocery store employees as well, I believe. It's a, it's a long list, yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. But, you know, just because... These uh, employees, these workers, these critical workers have access to the vaccine doesn't necessarily mean they're going to line up and get the vaccine. And what happens with vaccine usage in the K-12 community as opposed to the healthcare community, it's going to be very interesting to watch and, and see because, you know, one thing that's really clear here is uh, from, a, from a public health standpoint and from a policymaking standpoint, we're not through this. No. Uh, we've got some tough times ahead in early 21. You know, what we've seen with the numbers uh, suggests that the public health crisis is far from over, even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine. We've got case numbers continuing to rise. We've got uh, you know, a lot of pressure on the hospitals, uh, hospital space. You've got uh, rising death toll. That's uh, an unfortunate and tragic outgrowth of the increasing cases. So you've got all of that still going on and you still have a lot of difficult policy decisions that are going to be uh, falling to school boards, to college university administrators. You know, do you keep campuses open? Do you keep schools open? Do you maintain some sort of a face-to-face a -face learning component? Or are you at a point like Boise is right now, like Nampa is right now, where administrators are saying, look, we can't have, you know, we can't have face-to-face -face learning right now. We've got to put that on hold into January. What happens in January? What happens beyond? I mean, winter you know, sports. We're a long way from being done here. Yeah, winter sports and particularly indoor winter sports are a big decision point. Um, they were in the last couple of weeks, and I assume that they will be after the new year. But one of the differences is is many of these winter sports are are inside, close contact uh, type of sports. So as opposed to like having football games outside, we're looking at wrestling meets and uh, basketball games inside and some of those close contact types of scenarios. And so right now, the situation is on December 23rd, uh, the group size limits are in place. Those do apply uh, to youth sporting and, and school sports activities. Uh, but there are groups that are asking 
for more leeway for more parents to attend youth sports. And so youth sports is not something that I ever really anticipated that we would get into at Idaho Education News, but absolutely we are uh, today because it affects so many families and, and so many students. But it's a it's a big question mark right now in the response. You know, what can we allow? What can we endure versus what do we want to have happen versus what can be risky and spread and maybe make it harder to have I mean, we have talked about the relationship between sports and the ability to have in-person school. Um, and I didn't dream that up. I, I heard that from other uh, public health officials. But, for months. I mean, that's, a, that's been a concern for months. And so, so many of these things are, are all related, though, I guess, is what, is what I'm trying to say. Right, Kevin? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and we all know, even though you're right, we don't cover you know, high school sports as a beat, per se. We don't cover, you know, you know we don't cover prep sports, but... We all know from our coverage of education that, you know, you know, education takes so many forms and it's such a, a holistic endeavor for, for young people. I mean, participation in sports, particip participation in extracurricular activities, with band or choir or, or drama, you know, those are you know, defining parts of the education process. I mean, that's that's. Those are life-changing and life-defining uh, experiences for young people. In, in addition to you know the face-to-face -face learning, or you know, in many cases right now it's online learning. So I mean, it, it's all part of the the bigger picture of you know the education for people. It does all tie together. Yeah, if it wasn't crystal clear before, it, it, it's clear now that schools are hubs of their communities. They're the lifeblood of a community, especially as you get away from larger population districts like Boise or whatever. Um, but, but even in big cities, you know, schools are the hub of the community and the focal point of the community. And so much is tied uh, to the schools and to families and activities and everything that's going on. And so, so much, so much is related. You're, you're, you're a member of your school, you're a student, you're a, you're a teacher, you're a staff member, but you're also a member of a community. And I think we're understanding all the ways that those overlap maybe more than we ever have before, or at least maybe being reminded of it more uh, than ever before as we see it play out. And it's brought to the forefront a lot of things that we knew about education. You know, we knew that schools are a community hub. They're, they're not just a place for kids to learn, although that's obviously vitally important. They are a place where kids grow and socialize and, you know, and develop. It's a place where, in many cases, it's where kids get their best and most uh, balanced meal of the day. You know, it's a place where, you know, kids get social emotional support. I mean, you go back to the beginning of the legislative session back in you know, February, you know, the debate about putting state funding into social emotional learning and you know, how we had kind of a bitter debate about that in, in House Education Committee, you know, earlier in the session. Well, now I think there's a widespread understanding that there's a social emotional component to what's been going on these past few months and the, the effect on, on kids, the effects of being at home, the effects of being away from their peers, the, the effects of being outside of school and outside of, you know, 
you know, a safe, nurturing school environment. We know that that's having an effect. So, you know, the events of the past nine months have just sort of underscored the importance of schools as a, as a cultural hub, as a support hub, as a place where, you know, students can get the social emotional help that they need if they're at risk, if they're, in, you, know, you know, if they're dealing with, you know, with a personal crisis. You know, we knew all of this, but I think it's become a lot more clear and it's become a lot more profound. Yeah, it, it certainly certainly has. You know, right now we're in a situation where schools uh, are on a break uh, for the holidays, uh, where things have slowed down a bit politically. We are going to be back on January 8th with our next uh, big podcast. Ed News uh, is coming back in, in 2021. Extra Credit is coming back in 2021. And so everything is good there on that end. But we're kind of in a break right now and we're going to take a break next week and not have another podcast until like i said what january 8th but mm -hmm. we're, so we're going to get into some of the policy expectations and, and some of the things that specifically we think the legislature might look at or do we'll do that once we get back in january and we'll take a closer look at the logistics we'll know by january 8th we'll know what the state of the state address is going to look like you know governor little has said that it's going to be different you know it's not going to be uh him on the floor of the House necessarily, surrounded by 105 legislators, the Supreme Court, state elected officials. It'll, it'll look and feel different. We'll know a little bit better how exactly it's going to look and feel. I, I still don't, you know, sitting here today on December 23rd, I still don't know how that state of the state uh, will look like. You know, I, I spoke to the governor one-on-one -on -one about that, and he said that, you know, the Idaho Constitution requires him to give that message and give that update every year to the legislature, but it doesn't tell them how to do it. Um, and so the governor is going to have some options there. He, he could give it in a separate room. Uh, he could give it remotely, but we'll see. We'll, we'll know more about that when we're back in January. Uh, and we'll and get into early, some, some of the specific policy discussions at that time. And by early January, uh, school will be back in session, K-12. Um, you know, we'll start to see students going back to face-to-face -face learning or hybrid learning like you know, we're seeing in districts like West Ada. We'll see the online education continuing in places like Boise and Nampa. Uh, colleges, you know, college students will start to return. Uh, University of Idaho is going to open for classes on January 13th, but the campus is going to open a week earlier so kids can get settled back into campus and get, uh, get tested. Uh, you know, make sure they get a negative test result before classes begin. And we'll have a balance a couple of weeks from now of what sort of uh, virus spread we've seen coming out of, uh, coming out of Christmas. You know, what are the numbers looking like? Uh, what's the situation in our hospitals, uh, which all is going to affect the decisions that are being made at K-12 and, and higher education levels. Uh, we'll have a little bit better sense of what's going on with the vaccines, uh, what the vaccine rollout is going to start to look like, and what, when that uh, starts to uh, to hit hit K twelve uh, employees and, and teachers. You know, a lot of variables. Um, but as we take a two week break, we'll come back um, with maybe a little bit more clarity of what we know is going to be a very complicated two thousand and twenty one. 
I like how we're very much on the same page here because I was just going to ask you, Kevin, to kind of give me a couple of things that you're going to look ahead for. And, and you sort of did that without even asking. But uh, yeah, what are the case numbers going to be look like? What What's the vaccine, vaccination situation um, going to look like? Those are all things that we'll be keeping an eye on. Certainly the legislative session. Uh, how, are, how are they going to respond? Will they address the pandemic directly itself or will they more wrestle over separation of powers type of, of of questions and dilemmas. What education policy issues will they get into? What's funding going to look like? What's the next state budget going to look like? I mean, oh, by the way, we still have that record setting budget surplus that's amassing in state coffers. So we may hear in January uh, about some ideas for using that, I guess it could be $600 million at this point, of one-time money, uh, of an ending cash balance. So a lot of interesting things that we will learn or that we expect to learn or get more guidance on starting fairly quickly after the first of the year, I imagine. Right. I mean, there's so much on our horizon and so much uncertainty, but so many questions to, to ask and so many uh, variables to watch for. I mean, the, the future is so full of... Uh, things that we're going to have to be watching for. But I also find myself, you know, you know, this is kind of year in review. It's kind of a reflective time too, but you know, who could have envisioned where we have been these past nine months, uh, the, the challenges, the, uh, the, the trials that uh, you know, policymakers have faced, the, you know, the, the challenges that we've faced just as journalists uh, trying to, to chronicle all of this. I mean, you know, you know, my head's been kind of swimming for the last nine months. And, you know, as we sit here and we reflect, I find myself thinking, I find myself going back. It's kind of a, a diversion here, but I think it's an, an interesting one. I find myself going back to an interview I did in the fall with uh, Troy Roan, who was the former Boise school board member. He left, he resigned from the school board in September, you may recall. Yep. And he, he did it somewhat out of protest. He felt like, you know, School boards like Boise's uh, were being put in an impossible situation. They were having to make the decisions. You know, we're talking about local control, but you know, Troy Run's take on this is you're making us at the local level make impossible decisions about school opening, public health. You know, how do you maintain face-to-face learning, or can you maintain face-to-face learning in the middle of a global pandemic? And, and Troy Roan is a is an instructor at Boise State University very smart individual. I had a chance to interview him about the school board's collective role. You know, you know, how does he view what trustees are going through now, you know, a few weeks after uh, stepping aside personally, and he was very sympathetic about the plight that school boards are facing, the plight that volunteer trustees are, are facing. And I asked him, okay, you were on the board for several years, pre-pandemic, you know, yeah. What was the toughest issue you had to deal with in, in several years on the school board? And he said, you know, the toughest one, and it sounds funny now in retrospect, was, you know, a couple of summers ago, the Boise School District was talking about revamping the the class calendar, starting the school year earlier, like in mid-August as opposed to later in August, so that, you know, they could you know, finish fall semester maybe by Christmas and have you know, and of course, exams, you know, before Christmas as opposed to right after the new year and maybe wrap up the school year in May. And there was 
what seemed like <laughs> at the time seemed like a huge controversy. Um, you know, people saying that they, you know, the district was taking summers away from kids. You had uh, a lot of pushback. I remember essentially the owners of a water park got like lobbyists and got involved. Opponents. And, you know, it was almost like a movie, like, like a summer comedy movie. And, 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 and I don't mean to make fun. I'm just talking about comfortable. the situation. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got folks showing up at, you know, health board meetings, you know, protesting masks. You've got, um, you know, people showing up at the homes of health board members to protest. You've had, you know, you know the, the confrontations that we saw at the state house during that uh, extraordinary session in August and the anticipation that this could be a very uh, divisive and, and, you know, very, you know, contentious legislative session in 21. I mean, I, I think that what we saw with the special session in Oregon this week is maybe a prelude to what we're going to see when the Idaho legislature hits town in January. You know, such a, a turbulent and tumultuous and, you know, divided time that, that a fight between the water park and the school board over when to start a school year seems, seems trivial. Yeah. But you know, that's, you know, you know, pre-pandemic life and now, you know, in the middle of pandemic life. Yeah, I love that. I love that you went back to that. I, I knew exactly what you were going to say when you mentioned that uh, you spoke with Troy. And I remember well uh, that controversy over the start of the school year. But it really kind of puts it in perspective how much and things have changed. I go back and we think of, you know, a dozen anecdotes like that a piece of, of interviews of moments where it's like, wow, this is just nothing is the same anymore. And, you know, the, the Troy run interview will stick in my mind as an example, but you know, if, if I, if I sat here and looked at my clips and clips they, 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 that now I'm dating myself, <laughs> nobody does clips anymore. But if I look back at our, our stories from this year um, and looked at some of the interviews from this year, I could probably come up with a, a lot of other examples, but you know, it all changed in March and it's never going to be the same. And sets the stage for a very eventful 2021. Yeah, it, it, it is uh, never going to be the same, and it changed in ways that, that I never expected. I guess this is the time where I want to um, pass out a couple of thank yous. You know, Thank you to Kevin, to you as a co-host and a co-worker, but I want to thank all of our listeners uh, and all of our readers. I know that a lot of people who listen to us and read our site are educators on the front lines, their parents, uh, their administrators, their school board members, uh, their taxpayers, and so they're living this, and 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 this is their world has been upended uh, this year, and and so I want to say thank you to all of you for whatever you do and, and and for spending time with us this year. I know that I I didn't get to have the year I wanted in in 2020, and I know you guys didn't either, but I'm trying to remember. Um, to show gratitude and, and, and to bring gratitude with me in my life. And so I'm trying to take stock of the things that I'm thankful for, <clears throat> even though we all gave up a lot and didn't get to do what we wanted to do. And, and some of us lost loved ones or uh, had very trying personal situations uh, with their families or their jobs. But, you know, I, I was reminded of how thankful I am for my job and the ability to work remotely fairly often. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for being an Idahoan and being able to keep myself sane and 
basically go out to the mountains every weekend, whether it's climbing or, or skiing. I think that helped keep me sane and helped me uh, escape. And so I'm very thankful to be in Idahoan and to live in this beautiful place where we have these outdoor recreation opportunities where I can go out in the mountains and be far from other people and try to, you know, take stock of things and, and control my own sanity a little bit. So I, I am thankful for things. I'm thankful for the vaccine on the horizon and I'm thankful for uh, my family and, and, um, and I hope everybody enjoys the holidays and has a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and gets a break. And it's going to be a little different this year than it was before. Um, but I'm, I'm still trying to keep in mind that I'm thankful at this point, despite what we've been in. So, Kevin, I want to turn it over to you for a couple of minutes to to kind of have any final thoughts before we close out. Well, you know, it did have everything you said. I mean, I'm thankful for all of the same things that, that you are, my, my family, my job, uh, my coworkers. Um, you know, but one one thing that does jump out at me and, you know, you, you, you thank our audience and I want to take that maybe one step further, you know, this has been such a divided time and it's been such a, a bitter time. But one thing that I have noticed, and I've said this on other platforms, and I don't know if I really said this on, on this one, so I'm going to say it now, is I've been struck by how many people have reached out to me and have reached out to us uh, via email, via text, on social media platforms, to thank us for what we're doing and thank the media in general for what we're doing. You know, we're, we're surrounded by some really talented folks in, in the Idaho media and the Boise media. And, you know, I'm grateful that we're one of the sources of information that people are seeking out uh, among many, uh, you know, the, you know, we're, you know, in a, in a time where we've got a lot of, of options, a lot of good options for information. And I, I'm just gratified that we've had, that I've had so many people, that we've had so many people reach out in these difficult times and say, you know, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. It's important. We're coming to you for information. We're counting on you and we support what you're doing. And, you know, in a time where we get, we get so much bashing, we get the, the, the fake news nonsense and we get all of that. At the same time, we're also getting people, you know, who are, who are expressing, you know, gratitude to us. And that's really humbling. And that's really, that's really cool. And, you know, I just wanted to take a, take this moment to thank you all for that. And to say that it really means, means more to you than you may think. It really, that kind of support has, has really been humbling and it's been gratifying. And it makes me hope that if people are reaching out to us, uh, you know, we're reporters. I mean, we get to, you know, I still get to go home at night. Even when I've worked at the office, I still get to go home at night and have dinner with my wife and hang out with my dogs and play with them. I mean, don't just thank us. I mean, thank the folks on the front lines, the, the, the first responders and the healthcare workers who have really been walking through fire, who are really the folks who are going to go side of this thing. Um, you know, they're going to hell and, you know, they deserve our gratitude, but um, I, I just wanted to thank everybody who's reached out to us uh, to support us. It, it means a lot. I think that's a great uh, way to leave off for the year. I, I'd echo all of that, but uh, thank you so much. Um, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah. Um, hopefully you're able to experience some peace and some rest 
uh, at this time of year. But thanks for everything, and, and, and we'll see you next year starting on January 8th. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Stay safe, have a joyful holiday season, and we'll talk in 2021.